If you have a Bible, can maybe turn to Joshua and chapter 2. Joshua and chapter 2. And this evening we want to look at this second attribute or experience or event uh, within Christ's church as we look through the windows uh, into the church and we want to think of surprising conversions, uh, a tremendous thing for the church to to experience and and we trust that we'll experience many more uh, over the, the coming months and years. I was watching the triathlon uh, yesterday, uh, the World Triathlon Series. It was uh, filmed from Leeds yesterday, a a men's race, first of all, and and then uh, a women's race. And and it was a a gripping uh, event uh, yesterday, a a close uh, run event. And and what was uh, fascinating as I I reflected on it and reflected uh, on this chapter, how it's set out and within the context of the book, uh, was the the different Uh, views that we had uh, of the runners. Sometimes there was the the very narrow view and sometimes there was the the very broad view uh, of the the whole race. Uh, And both of these viewpoints were were really interesting and informative and gripping and necessary uh, for viewers. That there was the, the experience of the, the, the fastest uh, triathlete, a French girl who had messed up in her bike changeover and she had to take a 10 second penalty at some point before the end of the running race which completes the three disciplines. And so that the focus was on this fastest runner who was back in the pack but yet still had to take the 10 second penalty. And as she moved up through the field, uh, there was this fascination of the, the broad uh, view uh, of the race, of, of where she was in relation to the leader. And as she got to the front uh, and set out a distance uh, between first and second place. Uh, and then there was the, the close-up pictures uh, of the, the pain uh, in her features uh, and the challenge that all the effort she was putting in uh, would bring. And this broad view, and then this narrow view, it really brought the the whole experience uh, to life and and interest. And so it is as we come to to this second chapter uh, of Joshua, uh, we're looking at a a narrow view. Uh, One person is singled out that is focused on in these verses. This chapter has been compared to to speed ramps or a civilian flagging down a car and we're slowed up here from the broad view of the conquest of the land of Canaan to this solitary experience, to this single individual person. In the big flow of redemptive history, in the story of the entrance into Canaan, This chapter didn't really have to be included, did it? If we moved from chapter 1 to chapter 3, the the flow of the story would continue. But such is God's way, that he cares for individuals. It's reminiscent and reflected of John chapter 4 in the New Testament. Jesus moving from his first year of Judean ministry 
up into his second year of Galilean ministry. But between the first and second year, there is the account of the woman at Samaria, outside of the covenant people, and yet emphasizing the grace of Christ beyond the covenant line. And here is the the parallel in the Old Testament. Rahab, outside the covenant people, and yet a recipient of the grace of Christ. Here is a, a second facet of Christ church. Surprising conversions. Christ's grace reaching out into communities outside the church, outside the means of grace, outside the covenant line. What a God he is and and it's an experience that we long to be replicated. That from our town, the grace of Christ will reach out and people sitting this evening in front of their TV will suddenly be arrested and awakened and driven to seek Christ. They'll arrive at our church building as Rahab communicated to the spies, converted before they ever set foot in her house. And tell us of God's marvelous grace in their hearts. Surprising conversions, a second insight into life in Christ's church. We only have three points tonight. <laughs> that, will, that will really help the note takers. Uh, <clears throat> foc- and it's alliterated. <clears throat> the focus on Rahab. The faith of Rahab. And then the fault of Rahab. We'll, we'll think of that right at the very end. The focus on Rahab. The book is entitled Joshua because he's the dominant character and In most of the chapters, especially chapters 1 to 12 and in the closing chapters, he dominates the story, commanding the sun to stand still, organizing the ark to go into the Jordan, marching the people round Jericho. Joshua is prominent and out front, but not in this chapter. He's mentioned in the first verse, in the last two verses, but nowhere else. The focus in this chapter is on Rahab. Do you notice that the two spies sent into the land of Canaan are not even named? It's not about Joshua, this chapter, or about Israel. It's about Rahab and the grace of Christ in our life. And what a lesson this is for us, isn't it? This focus on Rahab. A God who focuses on individuals and solitary people and those despised and ignored by communities. The word for wall in, in this chapter means double wall. The city of Jericho was well built and well fortified. Rubble was, as excavations have found, placed within the the gap between the two walls and the poorer of the city of Jericho were housed 
in little houses, in that small space. And that's where Rahab lived. A solitary, poor individual. And yet the grace of Christ came to her life, her heart. What a story this is. As we'll see, God willing, in, in Joyce, there's some tremendous stories. Some edge-of-the-seat stories, some gobsmacking, astounding stories of the mighty power of God dividing the River Jordan, causing the sun to stand still. What might, what majesty, what revelations from heaven, yet alongside of those majestic expressions of God's being is this story reminding us that the transforming grace of God in a heart is as glorious and majestic as these wonders performed in nature. But this focus on, on Rahab is not only on an individual, but on a, a despicable and undesirable individual. Verse 1 says that she was a prostitute. Yes, a Canaanite, a non-Jew, a prostitute, possibly connected to some of the, the temples and gods that the Canaanites worshipped. Morally repulsive, unclean in the eyes of Israel and of God. And yet it's to this person that God in his grace and mercy reaches out. Chapter 6 verse 25 refers to her as one who dwells in Israel even to this day. He brings her into the church. She belongs to the covenant community. She's welcomed. She's assimilated into the people of God and it's challenging for us as we reflect on God's grace and the love of the community. Welcoming her into their cities and towns and families. Such is God's grace to be reflected in our lives and replicated in our welcome. And incredibly, this focus on, on, on Rahab is, is not only to, to show us this grace of God in her conversion, but to show us the grace of God and how she lived. <laughs> this solitary person outside of Israel, this, this non-Canaanite, this former prostitute is held up for us. In scripture. As an example. To be followed. In Hebrews 11. In James chapter 2. Alongside of Noah. And Sarah. And Abraham. And Jacob. Is, is Rahab. So transformed is she. That she becomes an example to us. Of living out saving faith. And deeds of kindness. 
charity, love, and compassion. The focus on Rahab in the book of Joshua is incredible. But we come secondly to the the faith of Rahab. And this is the main emphasis in this chapter. Verses 1 to 8 are are very clipped. Uh, There are minimal details. We've mentioned some of them already. Uh, The Hebrew uh, is described by David Howard in his his excellent commentary on on Joshua. He says the syntax of verses 1 to 8 and especially 6 to 8 is rather herky-jerky, he says. That is, the narrative does not flow easily, but diverges first here, then there, in fits and starts, with several back references and asides. And he goes on to say that this is intentional by the writer to point to Rahab's confession in verses 9 to 14. These other details of the spies and their venture are incidental and peripheral and preparatory to to the the, the knob of the, the whole matter in verses 9 to 14. The glorious saving confession of Rahab. Just for a moment, let us widen out this, this lens that we've, we've talked about at the start and, and see where the, the, the story of Rahab fits into the book of Joshua. The big event coming up, as we'll, we'll see, and, and, and you all know this, I'm not spoiling the story for you, will be the, the crossing of the, the Jordan and then the, the conquest of Jericho. These are the, the big events uh, about to come in, the, in this great story. And so chapter 1 and 2 are preparatory to that, aren't they? And as you read the text of chapter 1 and 2, you see that there's repeated phrases which are setting up a contrast. And it's within that set-up contrast that the story of Rahab is located. And it's with great skill that the writer sets up her faith and confession. Chapter 1, the repeated phrase four times, as we read this morning and, and perhaps tried to indicate, is be strong and courageous in verse 6, 7, 9, and 18. Be strong and courageous. As God's people imbibe his word, as they speak of his word, as they obey his word, they are to have that courage and that strength They're in his will, they're in his way, they're in his favour. Be strong and courageous as obedient, serving, committed people of God. That's his word to us as we follow him. But what about the Canaanites? Who've no time for God, who worship other gods, who do their own thing, who have a, a sinful set of virtues and morals. How are they to feel? Well, the very opposite is to be their experience in verse 9 and 24. Here's the repeated phrase of chapter 2. All the inhabitants of the land are weak 
because of you. In contrast to the strength of obedience and commitment in chapter 1 of God's people is the weakness and fear in chapter 2 of those who reject God. But here is Rahab. She's not in the covenant people. She's in the godless people. But she is a woman of faith and strength and courage surrounded by weakness and by fear. If we are a Christian this evening seeking to follow Christ with with repentant and humble hearts we're to be strong and courageous if we're not yet a Christian. We're to experience that weakness and that fear before Almighty God. And to seek that faith which Rahab was given in Jesus Christ. But what about her faith? And this is, this is one of the, the wonderful places to Take someone perhaps whom you're witnessing to and take them along this this journey that, that Rahab goes and she sets it out for us in this great confession in verses 9 to 14 and there's four steps in her journey of faith. It begins as it begins with us all in verse 10. We have heard. There she was working In her house, it was probably an inn, a hostel, where travelers would come and so the spies could go there and would be undetected, that there would not be a lot of suspicion surrounding them, though they were rumbled and the king knew that that they were there. But it was the the obvious place for for them to go, to go down to the hotel, the inn that that Rahab ran. and, And all kinds of gossip and news would be heard there. And it was there that she heard. Forty years previously, the crossing of the Red Sea. And now, more recently, of the conquest of those kings on on the other side of the Jordan whom Israel had conquered Sion and Og she had heard of the mighty works of God and this hearing was not lost on her this hearing was not considered untrue this hearing was not considered something which she could throw off it gripped her Blessed and guided by the Spirit. Justin Martin, one of the early church apologists, a godless man, a man searching after truth in the universities of his time, one day heard an old man reading aloud from the Bible. He was arrested by the words, blessed by the Spirit, and transformed. And here is Rahab, and here are you and I, and we heard about Jesus. 
And while others let that message go and turn to other things, that that hearing was something significant. It gripped us, as, as Romans 10 says, faith, it comes by hearing the word of God. The second step was she feared in verses 9 and 11. Fear has fallen upon us. We're melting in our hearts because of you. In verse 11, our hearts are melting. There remains no more strength in any one of us. This news of God's power and this news of the the people of Israel just camped uh, seven miles uh, down the road on the other side of Jordan filled her with fear. The Jordan River between her and, and them seemed to be no obstacle because they'd already crossed over the Red Sea by the mighty power of God. She'd heard of the the severity of God's judgment upon the peoples there. In verse 10, the complete destruction of the people on the other side of the Jordan. And this thought of the justice of Israel's God. This thought of the the judgment he brings down upon sinners. It's gripped her. Isn't it incredible? Many scholars, they they, they consider what's known as the the ban or or this total destruction of of cities, men, women and children uh, to be an action uh, by God which is unworthy of him and they, they reject this idea of God and they turn away from this, this God of justice and judgment. But this woman, it, it was this thing which held her mind and focused her attention and brought her to her knees. So blessed was this action of God and injustice that rather than driving her away from this holy God it draws her to him in fear and in repentance and hasn't this been another stage of our journey in faith that we too have encountered this righteous God that we have read of his eternal judgment which he is storing up for those who die in unbelief and this news has has gripped us while others deny such a place as hell and while others can live their lives frail and mortal though we are without thought of their eternal destiny we could not and we have been humbled before this God of justice and righteousness and truth. Oregon, he was revulsed at such a, a thought of God. He believed that all out of the mercy and, and love of God would end up in heaven, even the devil himself it would end there. But Rahab and, and ourselves are, are different. And we recognize a God of justice and judgment who will by no means clear the guilty. 
Rahab and others heard. Rahab and many others feared. But it was only Rahab who was saved in the destruction of Jericho. How then is Rahab different from the rest in the city? It is because her spiritual journey did not end with hearing and fearing. Rahab progressed to believing. And in verse 9, we have her clear confession of faith. I know that the Lord has given you the land. And then in verse number 11, the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab turns away from the gods whom her city worshipped and the Canaanites pursued like Baal and Asherah. She recognized from what she had heard and perhaps from some familiarity with parts of scripture which traveled across the the, the river Jordan through messengers and, 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 and business people into her inn. That God is the sovereign God, the living God, the true God, the one to be trusted, feared, and worshipped. Though she still had the title prostitute, she had left that lifestyle. The flax which is set in order on her roof space is an indication that she had changed her occupation. It's echoed in Proverbs 31 verse 13 of the virtuous woman. She seeks wool and flax. That was a noble occupation for a woman who feared God and was virtuous. Proverbs 31 says, and this person Rahab had evidenced her faith and change of lifestyle by a change of occupation. The narrator, as he records the pinnacle of his story and setting out the, the faith of, of Rahab, he summarizes obviously all that she said uh, to the spies as she let them go in verses 9 to 14. But in this summary, the narrator wants to emphasize the point that she was a true believer. In the New Testament church, the Apostles' Creed, or the New Testament era, the Apostles' Creed was compiled as a confession of faith, a summary of the Christian message. And new disciples, as they they came to faith and professed faith and and at their baptism, would recite the Apostles' Creed. Here was a New Testament era confession of faith. Verse 11 contains the Old Testament summary of faith. Lord Your God, 
is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This expression occurs only four times in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 5 verse 8, 4 verse 39, Exodus 20 verse 4, and here in verse 11. And in each place it's built up to, and it's recorded as a special confession of the people. Your God, in the heavens above, and on the earth beneath, And as the narrator summarizes Rahab's experience, he wants to assure us, he wants to to show how assimilated she was to the Old Testament community of faith. She utters the same confession as the covenant people. The Lord is God in heaven above the earth beneath. The story in the chapter closes, doesn't it, with that wonderful expression of her faith in verse 21b. She bound the scarlet cord in the window. And from your Sabbath school, maybe Sunday school or children's meeting, and from the early church, this image has been connected to the blood of Christ the scarlet colour the red cord not the rope that she let down the spies on but but another cord in her house it was to be the sign it was bright it could be seen from a distance the the armies of Israel would behold it the scarlet cord hanging from the window Rahab cleansed (coughs) trusting in The blood of Jesus Christ. An art critic uh, said regarding modern art, don't worry what you're meant to be seeing. Go with your gut. And sometimes we stand before a a, a modern painting and we we wonder, "What, what is this here? What is going on here? And and her advice is, well, well, don't worry about what you're meant to be seeing. Just just go with what you do see. And and, and perhaps, perhaps, just perhaps, that might be what is happening with that interpretation of the the red cord and, and the blood of Jesus. Maybe it is. But there's a better way. For us to find Christ in Rahab's faith. There's a better parallel here between what Rahab does in hanging this red cord from her window and what the Israelites did at the Passover in the land of Egypt. They placed on their door frames this Sign, this God-given sign which the angel of death would see and pass over. And as they sat in their homes, there was nothing between the firstborn's life and death but this God 
appointed sign of promise. And it's more likely that the spies had that idea in their minds. They replicated it for Rahab just as we were spared in leaving Egypt by the promised sign. So you, a believer in the true God, will be spared by this sign that you hang from your window trusting in the grace and promise of God. But there's an even closer link, isn't there? Within the the canonical framework. The scarlet cord doesn't appear very often in the Bible. And so when it does, we need to sit up and take notice and And there's an interesting connection between it being used in Joshua 2 and it being used in Genesis 38. In Genesis 38, Tamar, also a prostitute, also a non-Jew, takes a scarlet cord and wraps it round the wrist of one of her twin children, Zira, to identify him. In Matthew 1, which we read, in that incredible genealogy of Christ, Rahab and Tamar have a place. And here it's been emphasized, isn't there, in some deep way, in some connected way, of these ladies outside the covenant community, peripheral in their own society. And yet Christ's grace reaches out to them. No doubt it was costly for Rahab to trust the living and true God costly in this life turning away from the idols of her time and her community and for us to become a Christian and for us to live as a Christian there is a cost to speak up for Christ in your school or in your cafe or or your, your, your workplace it involves a price Rahab means bread This story emphasizes the breadth of Christ's grace reaching out to this poor, despised, Canaanite woman. She heard, she feared, she believed, and then she worked. James emphasizes that her faith was evidenced in her works. She was a believer before the spies ever entered the city. And when they came, here were the people of God. And she reached out with kindness, compassion, and love to them. This is James's point. That's how the people of faith are to live. We're to reach out to the people of Christ. With practical acts of help and service, compassion, and love. 
Does it mark our life? Do expressions of kindness and brotherly love characterize us? Do we show our faith in our works? The focus on Rahab, not Joshua in this chapter. The faith of Rahab. She heard, she feared, she believed, she worked. A journey we all must take. And lastly, and and quite briefly, the fault of Rahab. Now Rahab tells a lie in the story here and it has been discussed and we discussed it at lunch or this afternoon and different views are held on this by Christians. Some say that she performed the lesser evil so she lied instead of revealing the location of the spies who possibly would have been arrested and then killed. So she performed the lesser evil, and and that is legitimate, the argument goes. The second argument is that she had the interest of the greater good in mind, and so that the greater good was God's people, love for God's people, siding with the church of Jesus Christ. So so the greater good of, of preserving God's people it was above uh, the truth being shared uh, with these pagan, godless uh, soldiers who came to her house. Uh, the greater good uh, defends her action. I, I favor the third view that she was wrong and she should have trusted in God's providence. And Calvin mentions that and and he says these words so if you hold to the other views he he, he wraps your knuckles first of all Uh, let me give you that warning Uh, and then he goes on to to say some nice things those who hold what is called a dutiful lie to be altogether excusable do not sufficiently consider how precious truth is in the sight of God and still The act of Rahab is not devoid of the praise of virtue. Although it is not spotlessly pure. For it is often that while the saints study to hold the right path, they deviate into circuitous Courses. We're all there. We seek to serve Christ, and even our best is flawed and defective. Ralph Davis, in his outstanding commentary on Joshua, he he concludes uh, with these remarks. It is tragic when people snag their pants, he's American snag their pants on the nails of Rahab's lie, quibble endlessly about the matter and never get around to hearing Rahab's truth. 
We want to go home this evening not focusing on her fault because the New Testament doesn't, but on her faith. And he likens that erroneous view of this chapter to a husband coming home and the wife opening the fridge and saying to her husband, look at the the beautiful salad, salad that I prepared for you and the wonderful dessert that's sitting there in the fridge. And the husband rubs his finger across the the top of the fridge and goes away tutting about the, the dust that's on the top of the fridge. Rahab's faith should fill our hearts with vision and hope and expectation that here in Newtonards we too will witness people from around the church turning up at our doors and saying, I'm a changed woman, a changed man. Because this is the experience of Christ's church. Cornelius praying in his house to hear the gospel. The Ethiopian eunuch sitting in his chariot reading the Bible, God working outside the realms of the covenant community. Here's another window into the life of Christ's church and one which all of us should greatly desire to see.